My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak, and if you're a marketer you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and, really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino, and you are listening to No Brainer. I'm here with Jeff Livingston, who appears to be on the lamb or something. Different background for those of you watching us on video. A little variety action. What's going on, Jeff? Well, I'm in Ohio for the Marketing AI Conference later this week, but it's also nice. where my better half's family resides. So I'm working from a hotel today and uh, recording as well. So please forgive us if we have some technical insufficiencies, let's just say. Technical difficulties. So yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what you see and what you hear out at Maycon this week. So maybe we'll catch up on that when you're back. Uh, in the yeah, meantime, for sure. we're going to do something that I think in some ways we thought we would never do. Although OpenAI has been a recurring character on this podcast, we haven't actually done a full show about OpenAI, but there's a lot going on right now. And it, it almost is causing certainly us, but I think people in general to question whether their swift run to the top might be coming to an end, whether they're feeling more pressure, whether they're maybe stumbling a little bit. And we're going to deep dive into that. And before I toss over to you, Jeff, to frame us and get us going, just want to remind everybody, if you are listening to us on any of your favorite podcast platforms, please be sure to like and review the program. And if you are watching this on YouTube, first of all, apologies that this is what you have to look at. But more importantly, please be sure again to hit the like button to subscribe to the channel and please comment and leave reviews if you can. With all of that stuff out of the way, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and frame us up for our little open AI deep dive. So those of you that listen to the podcast, you already know that we last episode talked quite a bit about use cases. They report to remain strategic, avoid the usual shiny object syndrome conversation that marketing seems to get involved in. 
uh, and we're as guilty as any parties on that. And two weeks later, we're just going to go talk about tech instead. And uh, we do think that the open AI conversation has some value from a strategic standpoint, in large part because of their leadership. I mean, Greg, you and I have gone back and forth about doing this type of an episode. Like we, when they really broke open and we were first doing the podcast, we wanted to do the open AI masterclass and launching a brand. And then there has been all the uh, incredible marketing, chat GPT, the technology itself, the Microsoft synergies and how it's being integrated. And then, you know, whether or not they just race so far out ahead of everybody that they would be undefeatable. I am personally very glad we did not do that because we'd be eating a lot of crow on this episode. But it is time, as you had said, there's a lot of fire going on. There's a lot of developments and there's some implications that we should discuss. So with that, my friend, what do you think about open AI and why are GPT technologies important to the sector? Yeah. So I think for anybody who has not been paying such close attention to what OpenAI has been doing with ChatGPT, with the underlying GPT models. And I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast, especially regular listeners, will be familiar with that stuff. But so much happened so quickly, it's worth doing a little bit of a rundown. Why is everyone so focused on what OpenAI is doing? I mean, clearly, it goes back to November, right? On November 20th, they introduced the world to generative AI. Generative AI is a technology, frankly, has been around since the 60s, in a sense. And then there more recently, of course, have been other even writing systems that have been at play. We've been using writing systems like Jasper for three plus years here at the agency. But really, OpenAI, when they introduced ChatGPT and they put that warm, friendly chatbot interface on it and made it publicly available free, that basically introduced the world to AI in a way that had previously not been possible that had previously you know, had not been accessible, available to the average user. You didn't need to be a data scientist anymore to play directly with an artificial intelligence. So certainly they get a lot of credit for that. And that gave them a lot of sort of first mover runway. Um, you know, clearly GPT 3.5 and then GPT 4 really set the bar for text generation. Even before that, GPT-3 was recognized as one of the most powerful models in the world, right? And even, you know, at that point, it frankly wasn't that good. But by 3.5, it was very good. 4 was even better. So they set Dude, that bar. You forgot the 3.5 Turbo. You forgot the oh, Turbo. <laughs> turbo, uh, which is the... <laughs> I believe that's the model. Isn't that the model that actually sits under ChatGPT? Um, yeah, yeah. 3.5 turbos are new right. jacked up one that they released coinciding with four. But I, I'm yeah. just being snarky. Yeah, I know. Please forgive I me. I know. I know. But I mean, there are, there are obviously multiple versions of all these models, which then kind of gets us to the point that so many third-party applications are built on top of GPTs, right? So, you know, while there are plenty of other models that could be chosen from. There are other models that are proprietary. For example, Writer has their own proprietary large language model called Palmyra. Most of the companies you're hearing about, the technologies you're using, hundreds of different startups essentially bet the bank on OpenAI's GPT models, right? And that they, they, they became the backbone of all of these additional application providers. So certainly that gave them a lot of runway. They, I guess, a while back announced plugins, 
which is essentially their app store. And plugins are still running. There are dozens and dozens of plugins, plugins for anything from booking dinner reservations to shopping through Instacart to surfing the web to digesting PDFs and whatever else. So there are all these third-party bits of functionality that have been baked on. And now we're seeing OpenAI start to kind of ramp up their innovation with new functionalities. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, they introduced what they called code interpreter. And, you know, for all that we've said over the course of the podcast series about how brilliant OpenAI is at marketing, they are really, really bad at branding because code interpreter is a is just an awful name. And it doesn't actually describe what the technology does. You know, the thing that makes it unique, especially and powerful in a way, especially for marketers, is the fact that it can interpret data in reports. So you can give it a spreadsheet or a report. It can look at the data as long as it's structured properly and do things like kick out charts and graphs. That's not interpreting code. That's interpreting data outside of language, right? Um, so, you know, so they introduced that a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was just this week. They introduced another I think terrible branding is like, what do they call it? It's so bad. I can't think of the name of it. And I know I have it written down. Uh, it is called custom. Is it as bad as X? Uh, not as bad as X, but it's close because it's long. Oh, yeah. Um, so custom instructions, right? Which basically allows you to tell chat GPT something about yourself that it then retains. So you can say, I live in New Jersey. I work in marketing for a B2B SaaS company. Our key message is this. And I want you to respond to my prompts in, let's say, a playful tone, right? And right. that would be more kind of information. Yeah. Right. And you used to provide that context in your prompts. That's why prompt engineering became such a hot button is that you had to provide that prompt and continue reminding the model, this is who I am. This is what I want to happen. Now, apparently, it will remember those things if you use custom instructions, whether right, it's wise right. to put that information or not, I don't know. But every business wants to do that. I mean, every business wants to take that large data training issue, right? Sure. Where you're like, have this thing that's mapping against the entire internet from 2021 and start getting specific to their own data. And so of course. that's why you see so many private implementations. But yeah, but there are many other reasons, including the security and everything. And so, I mean, I think it's interesting that they did get as far as they, they have. I mean, clearly there are other competitors. But really what they did well uh, was launch ChatGPT. You know, I'm not sure that GPT-4 is the best algorithm on the market. What GPT-4 really is, and I know you're about to get into this, is a whole bunch of GP3.5 Turbo uh, implementations running simultaneously in a prioritization algorithm or some, therefore, combination of it as it's come out over the past few weeks. And so GPT-4 wasn't this massive movement forward. It was just more, uh, hey, man, we got a whole bunch of NVIDIA GPUs and we're going to throw them together and, like, you know, basically take five engines and put them in the same engine block or, you know, just throw more power at it. And, um, you know, which is effective. I mean, it works and you see that all the time and in a variety of applications and uh, technologies. But what they did was they launched with a masterful PR campaign 
they may have gotten a little cocky, to be frankly, uh, frank about it. I think that you and I kind of touched on that quite a bit uh, when the ethics issues started to arise and the doomsday playing came up and they kind of just leaned into that quite a bit. But at the same time, even some of the competitor technologies that they're talking about, like Bard and Llama, have somewhat been trained on GPT. So there's no question that they ran out far ahead of everybody else, just like if you're watching a race and they almost lapped everybody. And it was it, but we're early in the race. It's probably the thing we need to talk about and make everybody realize this is not a foregone conclusion. And GPT is not necessarily they, they may likely be because of the amount of traction they have, but they are not necessarily the play. Right. And I think that's the kind of thing we've seen over and over and over again. I mean, probably, you know, at a certain point in time, you might have thought that, you know, Ask Jeeves was going to own Internet search. But the reality is, in any of these fast moving spaces, you've got a lot of big tech competitors. And now what have become big tech, obviously, back in that day, Google was a startup, right? Uh, but you have all these companies now who are big tech competitors. You do need to be big tech to train a large language model. You know, right. a Tons of resources is not going to yeah. train LLM. They can fine tune an LLM. They can certainly run a third party LLM, but they're going to build their own large language foundation model. But Certainly, to your point, we're very early in the game. We're basically in day zero for generative AI. So to think that there is a foregone winner at this point is a little bit foolish, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah. You know? And I think people are underestimating the field, right? Like you are underestimating the field if you think that OpenAI is just going to run away with this thing. Like Google has done it twice. Like they've come back yeah. and just knock people around actually three times they did it with, they beat Netscape and Microsoft Explorer, right? With Chrome, they beat everybody on search. They were 13th on search. And then if you think about the dominance of Gmail versus like Hotmail, sure. uh, just insane, right? I mean, so Google has a long history of doing this to other people, but they haven't done it for more than a decade, right? right. It's then, been a while now and they've had a few, at least I would say moderately high profile, you know, failures, but that doesn't mean that they can't come back and do it again. Right. And then also look at Apple, right? Apple constantly starts technologies after everybody else and that just wipes people off the face of the earth. And by the way, if you think that Apple's not an AI player, if you have an iPhone and you don't use Siri, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I mean, like, come on, that's probably the most dominant voice conversational AI player out there. And that's a large language model. So is Alexa. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of players out there. So let's give OpenAI credit. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but let's not say that this isn't a competitive marketplace. Absolutely. Which I guess leads us to the question of why are we even discussing whether or not OpenAI is in a vulnerable position? Why are we even discussing whether they might win or lose in this race? And you know that kind of brings us to the news that's been bubbling up over the course of the past few weeks, maybe, uh, where right. there's been some rumblings about whether or not OpenAI's GPT models, in particular, 
the model underneath ChatGPT, which is the way most people are accessing GPTs, and GPT-4 might in fact be degrading in terms of their performance. So what people have begun to notice and are writing about and publishing online is the sense that maybe a few months ago, the kinds of responses, the kind of performance they got out of these tools was better than what they're seeing today. And um, some of it is subjective, perhaps, but some of it may, in fact, be real. And with no visibility into what's happening with the underlying model, it's very difficult to ascertain exactly what's going on. But there are certainly a few things that could be going on that seem plausible. And it could be any combination of these things, right? Um, right. The model itself could be sort of constrained or hamstrung a bit by the fact that it has guardrails around it. Certainly, there have been plenty of situations where we have seen somebody be able to jailbreak the model and get it to generate content that falls outside of safe use cases, right? So the more the model gets constrained within guardrails to keep it safe, to avoid issues related to whether it's hallucination or inappropriate content or whatever, you know, those could essentially tax the algorithm, right? And could hurt the quality of the response if, in fact, you're looking for a more freewheeling kind of conversation. I think that's one place we might see, you know, the sort of sense that I used to get it to do this, now it will not. Um, right, right. But part of it, too, is also uh, uh, could be regression, right? Like, I mean, nobody knows what happens with these algorithms when you unleash them in the wild. Sometimes they start learning and they get worse because of it. And it's expensive to retrain models. And obviously, you've got to stay on top of all of that. You know, one of the issues that's going on with it just generally is that four is so much more expensive than three, five. So when you have that regression or that degradation, of quality and you're paying this much more for four, you start saying to yourself as a developer, why why would I not use three five turbo? And in fact, most of the people that are using uh, GPT technologies and their various text generators are using three five turbo because it's so much more cost effective for them. The accuracy trade off isn't worth it, uh, especially considering Many of them now are putting in hallucination checkers. Uh, they're also doing some of these sourcing uh, algorithms to show people where the URL or the document that was sourced uh, came from. So that you know, then there are now the competitive suite of LLMs, LLMs that have been around or maybe were in development and have come out since uh, GPT three five, and those have been. Uh, you know, at least significant enough that other people are checking them out, right? So yeah. It, it, yeah. it's kind of working against OpenAI a little bit right now. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, though, I feel like there's been some pundits or experts or whatever you want to call them, writers on the topic, too, of who have also made the suggestion that, in fact, the models are no less capable than they were. They're just behaving differently because there is a difference between the capability of the model, what it actually can do, and the behavior of the application, what it actually does do when you interact with it. And, you know, there could be any number of reasons 
reasons for that, right? It could, in fact, be lazy or poorly constructed prompts. It could be asking the model to do something it was not made for. Like, I know plenty of people who use it to do math, but the hint is in the name of the technology itself. It is a large language model algorithm. It is built right. for language, right? So even though it can infer the way numbers relate to one another and do some simple calculations, that's not what it's made for. It's interpreting its language database to figure out how to do math. It's not a predictive model the way you know traditional AI is that it's built for that kind of data right right so, right right so right so you you know you ask a large language model to do sophisticated calculations and you're going to find it just kind of inventing responses in a lot of cases the other thing is that i saw something where coders have been complaining that i used to be able to ask it to generate working code that i could just kind of pump right in and it would work for the most part and i saw an analysis from somebody where they pointed out that that the code was just as good, but what the new chat GPT was doing was explaining how it arrived at the code in plain language and threading that into the response. So basically where a lazy coder might have before just taken it verbatim, dumped it in and see how it works. Now they're doing the very same thing, but it's got la plain language that obviously a computer can't understand saying, here's why I wrote the code this way. And of course the code is failing because it's, it contains data the computer can't interpret. You know, so there's right. certainly a lot of that kind of stuff. I think there's the that's a guardrail, right? That's right. like don't sue me. Don't right. sue me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think even theoretically, if we want to be kind of, you know, pessimistic, uh, but I yeah. think realistic is also to me the reality that more people maybe coming to the realization that as impressive and even as powerful as generative AI is because it is still so early in the game that these tools are just not as good as we've been led to believe they were. They are not as powerful as people lead us to believe, right? Well, I it think that anybody uses the actual tools gets to that conclusion pretty quickly. Right, right? exactly. I mean, that's why anytime you hear somebody saying, like, I'm going to lose my job because of this, you kind of look at them like, are you serious? Because like, have you used this thing yet? Because it's just not there, man. It's just not there. Like, if people right. think that, uh, let's just say on the creative side, I'm a graphic designer, boy, Adobe Firefly is going to eat my lunch. What? I mean, have you used yeah. this thing? No, 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 no. Okay, let's take a break and maybe we can get into some of the more uh, other challenges that are kind of weighing on the OpenAI brand. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the unfortunate thing for OpenAI is as people are moaning and groaning about this, they do have all these other challenges. And we will be back after a break to talk about lawsuits and llamas, my friends. Lawsuits and llamas. Wow. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? 
You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, we're back. OpenAI is experiencing other woes as well. And I think what we're really trying to do here, just to give people an idea before we go to their, the big conclusion at the end of the podcast, if you want to fast forward, you could definitely do that. But we're just painting the picture of all the woes that OpenAI is starting to face. Um, and they're not alone in some of these. Like We're about to go through the legal challenges. And I would say that MidJourney and Stable Diffusion and uh, OpenAI's DALI uh, have some some consideration there as well, particularly when it comes to stealing people's image likeness on their training data set. Whoops. Uh, but lawsuits are appearing and they are challenging OpenAI and their training methodology and the impacts on the company's ability to market the service may be relatively small. But I think that, you know, if you're a corporate entity, you don't necessarily want to install a technology as your answer when anything you produce may be subject to a lawsuit or subject to having to be rewritten or recreated because, uh, you know, basically the provider was sloppy, right? And didn't uh, do the work that Adobe has done and the generative side to indemnify your clientele. Um, so first of all, Sarah Silverman is probably the most uh, visible of the lawsuits uh, saying that basically OpenAI stole her intellectual property to train its algorithm. I guess you could get uh, ChatGPT to write as Sarah Silverman or speak as Sarah Silverman. And uh, I'll bet, though, by now there's a guardrail on that after the lawsuit. Um, again, degrading the algorithm to make Sarah Silverman happy. Um, but all jokes aside, that's just an example of when one of these things pops up, how the company has to respond at a minimum putting the curb in there. But now imagine if every single Hollywood actor and every single talent, every single broadcaster, uh, every single sports writer, journalist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, decided that like, hey, my intellectual property cannot be used to train these algorithms. And rightly so. Uh, I mean, I think it's a reasonable thing. I think you're going to see a lot more gating of content because of this. Um, and so you're seeing authors to them as well. Um, class action lawsuits are rising up now. I think there's one in India. Uh, the FTC has issued a complaint, uh, according to Serbifor, major publishers, including the New York Times and News Corp, uh, maybe going out to sue OpenAI and that, that will be big, right? That's, that's a massive that's, that's, lawsuit. That's a big one, right? Cause you've got, I mean, you mentioned New York Times, News Corp. I think IAC is part of the coalition. Axel Springer in Europe is part of the coalition. This is a lawsuit that people are projecting could be billions of dollars right. in damages. And these are a lot of, these are that Microsoft money. Right. These are major publishers. I mean, it's great news for OpenAI that they cut a deal with the AP, right? To have access to, 
years and years and years worth of AP articles. That's data that is high quality, highly accurate, uh, reputable information, well written to a standard that other writers abide by, the AP style guide. That's a fantastic resource for a large language model. But imagine losing everything that comes from the New York Times or everything right. that comes out of News Corp. Um, right. Or Gannett or all the other ones. I don't know what Gannett's called now. I think they're, I don't know. I don't even know if that's still a Tango, but Tango, they're called X. They're X. <laughs> right. But I mean, everything I mean, is X now. Huge one, right. You know, and that could be your point <laughs> to your point earlier about just a few minutes ago about more content being gated. And of course, the New York oh, totally. The New York Times already gates a lot of their content and, you know, as does the Washington Post and all of these major mm -hmm. publications. But, you know, can you imagine a world where all of the most reliable, authoritative information is really, you know, kind of hardcore gated behind paywalls that are impenetrable to a scraper that's, you, that's feeding data into a large language model. And the large language models are being trained on all of the AI generated crap that's polluting the Internet. Well, right? that's where we're heading, you know, and I think that's going to actually probably hurt. Um, the quality of these algorithms, you know, so it's going to take a lot of agreements with players to get them involved and make them part of the overall earnings. But yeah, and they're that, right and that, to do it. They're of, right of to course. do it. They're having their intellectual property stolen. I mean, right. as a photographer, it pisses me off that my entire Flickr portfolio is probably being used right now by Midjourney. Like I type in an image and create one of a Washington, D.C. fireworks scene or, uh, you know, a monument scene. And I'm like, I could have taken that, you know, or I, I may have I may have been used for that. Right. Like, I don't, don't know. know. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and somebody in D.C. was and I don't know any other place that they could have gotten those images. I mean, they're not getting them from Getty. That's definitely firewalled up. Yeah, but, you know, and it's interesting because this fundamentally changes not just the quality of the training data sets, ultimately, perhaps it not, doesn't just change the economics around the model. It changes like the whole business model and the viability of this kind of machine learning. You know, large it's Napster, language model. Dude. This yeah. is Napster. It's, Remember right. that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And somebody's going to be smart, like Google, because they are smart generally, and they're going to pull what Apple did. And like, look, sooner or later, all your content's going to be stolen anyway. You may as well get a dollar for a song. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's what's going to end up happening. Yeah. What, what's interesting is that this is happening so early in the life cycle of the technology, right? Because, you know, Napster kind of ticked along for quite a bit before Metallica stood up and complained and Apple said, wait Pissed a second, we can, we can, <laughs> you know, wait a second. You know, Apple said we can put it into a walled garden and make sure everyone gets a little bit of money, but mostly us. And then you look at social media and and, you know, we all made that deal with the devil, right? Where all of our data is the property of but the terms of service, man. Oof. Right. I mean, but like, you know, Facebook and Twitter were smart about that, man. Yeah. They got in front of that. They're like, no, you, if you're on here, you're giving up your shit. You put a photo right. up here, you're giving up your shit. Yeah. Like they were smart about it, which is not surprising. 
we were stupid about it, right? We just allowed it to happen and didn't ask any questions until, what, a decade down the road. Too late. And and it's funny, too, watching everybody (laughs) complain about Twitter after the fact now, too, with everything going down and, you know, with Elon. And it's like, come on, buds. If you don't like it, stop playing. You're volunteering. (laughs) Sorry. But yeah. hey, the terms of service thing is a good segue because yeah, you and I both saw that terms of service uh, tear down. I guess it was what Legal Insider or some sort of a podcast like us, uh, but legal experts and basically any content that's created on ChatGPT cannot be owned by the person that's interfacing with the AI. So think about all the marketing people you know. And maybe even yourself, and that's okay, because you know what? I think there's a lot of people that have been making this mistake. But anything you're creating and using in your marketing content right now, you don't own it, man. You don't own it. In fact, OpenAI owns it. And then even better, you can't use OpenAI's name with it, because OpenAI is insisting that everybody get the usual legal name and saying that ChatGPT created this. And that's also probably a legal protection so that they don't get sued in case something goes the wrong way. I mean, so now you have a a content or a text generator where you're creating web copy, ad copy, mail copy, whatever, right? Copy. And... You don't own it and you can't say where it came from. Not that you would anyway. When you could have basically had a cheap subscription at Jasper relatively or writer or copy or name your flavor du jour and, and saved yourself that and owned your copy. So like well, that's maybe, a huge right? nightmare. But I wonder what's, what, what's the, I don't know what the right legal term is, but what kind of, how do those terms and conditions transfer through, right? Because Jasper is built on GPT and they've customized or fine tuned that model, uh, to do things that are more marketing oriented in terms of the tasks that Jasper performs. But the underlying model is GPT. Still GPT 3.5 turbo. Right. Right. So do those terms and conditions carry through and, you know, you don't know. And that's, that's the, that's the short answer is I don't think right. anybody really even understands. if they do, is it tainted now, right? Is it tainted? Now is the brand tainted to the point where you're thinking about it? Right. Right. And that's what I'm saying is that it doesn't, it may not matter what, unless you're using so it. For- right. Jasper indemnifies its clients, as does writer, right? Yeah. But, you know, writer is using its own, you know, is using its own large language model. But, you know, Jasper can say or do whatever it wants. And again, I feel like we're always talking about Jasper and it sounds like we're picking on Jasper, but we only use them because they are such a dominant platform in that writing assistant space. Well, they're the sexy writing player, right? Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, if they're running on top of GPT 3.5 and the terms and conditions for GPT 3.5 stipulate that OpenAI owns the content generated by the model, then I don't know how that carries through. So my point being, I'm not trying to kind of do an in-depth legal analysis because I missed a few of these days when I was in law school, but my point being, there is so much ambiguity around intellectual property, both the intellectual property going in, and that's where you're seeing a lot of these lawsuits now, whether it's Sarah Silverman or the New York Times. And then there's so much ambiguity about the intellectual property that comes out 
what does a brand own? What does a brand not own? What are the obligations for disclosing it was generated with AI versus right. what are the limitations for being able to say right. it was, right? Because that's one of the weird things in the open AI terms and conditions is I believe in one place it says you need to disclose that AI generated the content. And that's consistent with the new sort of voluntary, I don't even, they're not rules, sort of commitments right. they've made around transparency and labeling of AI generated content. So that they're saying, hey, you know, as a user, you really need to disclose Close that you used AI to create this content, but oh, don't tell them that it was our AI because you're prohibited from using our trademarks. It's a very weird set of kind of legal right. mumbo jumbo gobbledygook that I can guarantee people are going to get into trouble by making decisions around how to use these tools without having this stuff really thought through and without having gone to the so, correct that, person that's the governance in their argument. legal department. But the thing with, right? right, but the thing with Jasper in particular is they do say that their content's original, that they're going to, that you own it, right? And so, I mean, I think that if you want some sort of at least a feeling of security around the content you're creating when you're using it, then you should definitely be paying for a subscription that's not ChatGPT. A hundred percent. I mean, like that's a professional that thing to do. If you're a professional, <laughs> and then like the ethics thing is, you know, I I don't know if it's your website. I mean, and you want to represent yourself using marketing AI content, and you haven't edited it. Well, I mean, maybe that's going to hurt hurt your business, and you're going to pay for that in a different yeah, and that, way. That's a hundred percent. Like that's on you, yeah. right? It's not. That's it's not on you, right? Like so, it's you know. But, but if you submit it to a publication for. For, you know, like you submit it to the New York Times as an op-ed that maybe you got an issue there. I don't know. I'm sure they'll yeah. put it through the plagiarism yeah. checker. I mean, I'm going to put a finer point on something you just said. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I, I suspect you agree. Not everybody will agree. And I think we kind of right. hinted at this a little bit, even in our last episode about use cases. But I would go so far as to say, if you are a professional outside of play mode, right? If you're using this in a real business use case as a tool, I would not be using chat GPT period as my application layer to do business. No. Work, right? No, no, no. 100% I will absolutely right. not, right? And as a marketer, yeah, there are. You're an dozens, amateur if you're doing that. Right. You're a joke. There, right. There are dozens of writing systems that are built for marketers with feature sets and functionalities that are made for marketers. They are not expensive and they are so much better for a professional use case. I don't know why people still use chat GPT in an office environment unless they're just shadow gen I. Or unless they've done a private implementation and traded on their own data. You know, that's well, the other scenario, but, that, but that's right, different. But that's, that's different. That's, that's a, a developer model. If you're training something yeah. on or you're using GPT 3.5. You're not using chat GPT. Right. 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 I, I, yeah. So I do. And that's a good point because I think people use these sort of anything. Use them interchangeably. GPT, anything, and, use them interchangeably. Right. Chat GPT yeah. is an application. It's a web service. Layer. 
right? Yes. It's an, a web-based application, a chatbot that runs yeah. on top of an iteration of the GPT model, 3.5, 3.5 Turbo, 4.0, it, depending on what you're using. You can it use was the most powerful use case right. ever, right? right? They were demonstrating the value of their algorithm. Absolutely. Um, and you and can obviously use an API to interface directly with the model. Um, GPT-4, to my knowledge, still cannot be fine-tuned, but that's why a lot of people are running on 3.5, which can be... Well, they did release it. They did open it up to all developers now. They so, did, but, but I still, still think it's... My understanding is, at the moment costly. at least, it's still a... Um, it's still a Kind of, it's trained the way it's trained. You're not really fine. boxed you can, it, right? You can prompt tune it. You can uh, call you against it, really, yeah. uh, and you can obviously call against on the APIs. My understanding, but yeah. you know, using GPT 3.5 or four, or whatever you want to use for your own custom applications is a different story. But using right. Chat GPT as your business grade writing assistant or research assistant or chart maker or code writer to me is like marketing malpractice. You need to be using tools that were built for the job at hand, period. Totally. All right. I'm off my, I'm off my soapbox. All right. What I'm talking about today. Greg's going to find <laughs> you if you're using that GPT. Look out. I will. <laughs> he will hunt you through the internet and troll you on Twitter like he's Joel Embiid. All right. Uh, all jokes aside, I'm going to skip the White House thing. I'll just briefly mention it. The White House did a deal with all the big players to agree to source AI ethically and work together to uh, make sure that uh, AI is safe. There's no teeth to it. There's no legal enforcement of it. It's just industry and Joe Biden having a moment together. And I'm not really sure it's going to have an impact, but still it's a public assurance that they felt was necessary to make. And that should speak a little bit to this larger issue. And now let's finally talk about the competition that's launched. I think most notably Meta and Microsoft launched Llama together. And that's a, a quote unquote open source uh, LLM. Uh, apparently GPT was used to somewhat train it. And that's kind of burning uh, Sam Altman a little bit. Uh, but all, all things aside, what Llama does, it's a little bit different is there's no cost if you're a developer. That's huge. It's supposedly pretty good, right? I mean, you have to admit Facebook has a pretty strong training data set if it wants to basically, and I'm sure they did firehose their entire social network, family of social social networks into that. So it's really powerful. It's got Microsoft behind it. It's on Azure. You could totally get it. Uh, there are some caveats. It's, uh, and it's part of the branding in some ways. Uh, one caveat is it has to be used for safety and safe AI use. Basically, you can't have your porn bot built on Llama. Um, and I'm sure that they will enforce that. Uh, and it's to their, to their marketing advantage to do that. But the other one is that anybody with more than 700 million users, hello, Google, cannot use Llama. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's obviously, you know what? Very selective as, people, yeah. right? As far yeah. as I'm concerned, saying that this is open source and freely available to every organization and individual in the world, except for the five or six largest technology companies that are not meta, I'm okay with that. 
I'm totally okay right. with that. And what's clever is that Microsoft exempted themselves from that limitation by doing the llama deal, right? So Microsoft is getting it from all directions. That's pretty sad. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's the real story here, right? Like if you think about that, what was it? I was thinking the other day of the size of the investment, the 11 figure, 11, 11. Like, think of all those zeros, people, 11-figure investment in OpenAI from Microsoft, which I understand they've already made their money back just hosting GPT applications. Uh, and, of course, they're OpenAI's hosts as well. But beyond that, uh, I mean, I, th- I assume that they are. But uh, I, I don't know for a fact. I want to state that. But <laughs> all jokes aside, the thing with Llama is, like, now Microsoft's got two horses in the race, and they're basically saying to OpenAI, well, yeah, you're great. We love you. Yeah. We've invested all this money, but we, we need another horse in this race. Wow. What a statement. I mean, I think it's brilliant by Satya, but, I mean, wow. I mean, that's got – if I was in the OpenAI offices and the part of that executive team, I would be shitting my pants, part of my French, because I think that's a huge – huge vote of no confidence from your largest investor or yeah. low confidence, you know? That, yeah. That's it. It's a very interesting situation. Lots of corporate intrigue. Speaking of horses and races, obviously llama's not the only horse. Quad? Really weird to say. Um, I feel Quad? like we have a weird kind of messy animal thing going on. Um, Claude, obviously. Claude the llama. (laughs) So, um, obviously, the other big announcement was Anthropic releasing Claude 2. And it's notable in part because it it is high quality. People are getting good results from it. But also, it can process, is it 100? thousand tokens of context yeah a right? lot more training data you could throw into that for right, an individual which, query which, right which in plain language means you could put in essentially an entire book's worth of information and say okay now do something with this right which is yes. something you cannot do with chat gpt so it allows for that much more sort of prompt training context uh which really opens it up to do lots of things it could literally you could literally write a book upload the book and say okay produce a summary create an index write the table of content right all these things create 25 articles based on the key themes of the book right all of these things theoretically are possible with claude and i've been using claude for a while now it was available through Poe, which is um, Cora's chatbot interface, um, right. which has been available for a while now. And if you were on the paid version of that, you could use the previous iteration of Claude. And I have found it personally to be as good as ChatGPT. It's different. You might get different Jasper's trialing it, actually, which is another yeah. vote of interesting. Yeah, I know what I mean? So, yeah, so now you've got, right, so you've got, you've got ChatGPT and the underlying GPT algorithms. You've got Llama. You've got Claude, too. And I know Anthropic also claims to have a strong emphasis around safety and ethics and all of those things that are a little bit more loosey-goosey with an open AI. Meta is trying to play that card, too, in terms of safety, right? So now we've got these three viable large language models, and they're not the only ones, right? Yeah. I mean, that's Um, the other thing. It's the whole visual side of this, too. 
Uh, I mean, with all these co- competitors, I think we're going to talk about this in a moment. So I'm going to hold it. But then Bard also did one. And then I think we got to like move a little bit. X. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably confusing. Take it seriously, man. It's probably, it's probably confusing because I think when we started to put the show notes together, X was Elon's. AI company that was going to figure out the meaning of the universe or whatever garbage that was. And now it's Twitter, right? So and now it's, it's, for, it's for a anybody, rocket. It's a, yeah, for, it's a for boring anybody, thing. I don't know. <laughs> for anybody who over the past 24 hours or so has been kind of embroiled in this, Twitter has become X drama. Before that, X was the name of Elon's AI company. And yet, and it's also a, it's a symbol he uses in a million places, Tesla X, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when we're talking, when we're talking about X, we're talking about his AI company, which sounds like, frankly, just sort of a rich guy patting himself on the back and getting into the game. Because he's not talking about viable commercial offerings. He's talking about figuring out the meaning of the universe, which I'm sorry to, as you would say, Jeff, Twitter is your training data. Right. Come pardon on, my dude. French. Come on. Is like, man. That's a load of, that's a load of bullshit. He's um, so full of so, shit. Yeah. So, uh, I think we're going to, Jeff, I think it's the last segment of the show. We're going to really kind of get in and talk about what we think this means, particularly what it means Wait, for the, marketers. This is our big takeaway. Yeah. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to take another quick break. We'll be back in a minute. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right, everybody, we're back. So this is the big takeaway. I think we'll put a, a little timestamp in our show notes for those of you that want to fast forward to this. And so if you're just getting here, welcome. Uh, but all in all, the big takeaway is that there's a lot of weight on OpenAI now. There's a lot of kind of like ankle biters and there's a lot of competition coming at it. And so what uh, you would normally call that is drag, right? It's dragging the brand back. It's holding it from being as fast as it could be. So will that mean that OpenAI is going away? I, I think the short answer is no. I, I don't think the chat GPT or GPT 3.5 or 4, GPT as a technology suite is not going anywhere quickly. Does it mean that it's guaranteed to stay around? I don't know. But that early mover advantage where they have so many applications that are built on it, that incredible advantage that they've built over the past nine months is going to be really hard to uh, basically destroy quickly. You know, it's not going to happen fast. It will take at least a year or two for one competitor to beat them out. And that competitor has to be more than just equal to them, in my opinion. So that early mover advantage is very, very real. I I just can't see GPT going away quickly. Like some of these people are saying, like, Claude's going to knock them out. Maybe Claude will eat some market share, but Claude 3 really needs to come out and supersede GPT's technology capability in a way that's obvious and clearly better. Uh, and I think that people are going to work on that. 
Uh, I don't know if OpenAI is going to work on that because Sam Altman said that they're not going to do large language models anymore. Uh, another big takeaway from this that I want to cite, though, is that you know OpenAI is more than a GPT company. Um, you know, their other big dog in the generative race is Dali, their image generator, and often Dali is bundled with GPT in some of these. Uh, larger implementations like HubSpot and uh, other players. I, I think the big loser in all this competition and all these legal problems is Dali. And the reason why is because it's an inferior technology. Um, I mean, if you look at MidJourney, it's better. If you look at Stable Diffusion, it's better. Adobe, Firefly, not really better, maybe comparable, but trained on very safe, usable data, and Adobe has indemnified anybody that uses their images basically on the training data that you're not going to get sued for it, that all the training data was ethically sourced. So I think that there's so much going against DALI that the technology finally meets its, what I would say, just deserves, which is it's an inferior technology and it's not an advantage to use it anymore. So I, I don't know. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I mean, I going back to your sort of the first remarks you made on this. Um, I also don't see OpenAI going away. You know, I certainly agree with that. But clearly, it is not a one horse race. I don't know that it ever was a one horse race, but the hype machine I think led many people to believe that it was. So that ChatGPT, not even all of OpenAI or all of the GPTs, but ChatGPT became synonymous with Gen. AI for so many people. And I think that we're at this moment now where everyone's eyes are opened up and they realize there's this whole other world of generative AI happening. And you can't really just back this one company and assume that they are the de facto winner. Um, more competition is mo better, right? So, you know, it's kind of weird to say that because already it's highly concentrated, right? You know, if you take away all of the applications businesses that are building on top of the large language models, the foundation models, um, yes. there are only a few companies in the world who control these foundation models. So it's already highly concentrated. But as far as I'm concerned, any scenario in which you have multiple choices. I can choose GPT-4, I can choose Llama 2, I can choose Claude 2, I can use BERT, I can use BARD, I can use, right? That is a better world, both for the application developers and ultimately for the end users. And I'm when I'm thinking end users, I'm not thinking necessarily of, you know, Johnny on the block, you know, who's doing some stuff with a GPT or an image generator or whatever on, you know, for themselves, for fun on the side, I'm thinking about the right. marketers. And as a right. marketer, it's an interesting inflection point now because there are so many technology companies, but most of these technology companies have built their solutions to one degree or another, as we've discussed in this show, on the same large language models, whether they're built on GPT or ultimately could come to be built on Claude or whatever. So if you're a large enterprise and you're looking at all these companies and the same large language model underlies all of these companies and the company that controls that model is 
facing billion-dollar lawsuits, is potentially seeing model drift or degradation or performance issues, and now you're buying an application that's built on top of that. And that by the way, their top good. investor is, has a competing model now. Right. <laughs> um, but like you've got like now you've got like, you know, you're buying applications that themselves could see performance issues, could get glitchy, could get weird, could not uh, sort of behave the way you expect them to behave. Right. So choosing the right technology partners is a strategic decision. It's not just. Right check the box. I've got my writing assistant. I don't care which one it is. You've got to ask the right questions. What models are you built on? How have you implemented those models? How are you accessing those models? How are you testing that model's performance? How have you fine-tuned it to make sure it performs marketing use case tasks effectively and efficiently? There's all these things you need to look at. So it's really important because what you don't want to do, imagine a world where like you're a, a Salesforce shop and all of a sudden you rip that out and replace it with HubSpot. How pay, how painful that would be. Putting forget right. about a forget about AI, right? But now imagine but, doing that in the future. But, 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 AI hold, hold on. The good news on this though is it's a lot easier to switch out the algorithms, right? It's a it's a lot more painful to go from a CRM to a CRM. Just moving pretty quickly. I know some of these vendors can literally just switch, like toggle it, like move from <laughs> from. Chat GPT from GPT 3.5 to Mosaic to Claude, I mean, to Llama, they can literally just toggle the algorithm. Now, of course, they've familiarized them within their systems, but it, it's easier to do that than, than, than moving from HubSpot to, uh, Adobe Marketo, right? Like it's just, but the same thing is that makes it even more fraught with danger for open AI, you know, it does, yeah. I think. <clears throat> but, but, you know, I think while yes, it's easier to switch models, right. the application will in fact perform differently. Right. Um, totally and when right. You look at even what Salesforce is doing, Salesforce is talking about being multi-model. They are all, they all, today they only offer GPT. GPT. They don't even offer yeah. their own proprietary model. And I've heard off the record, but I guess it's kind of on the record now, but I won't say who told me, it will be months, if not years, before all of those models are implemented because they're so tightly integrated into Salesforce applications and the Salesforce Trust Center and Salesforce Data Cloud, right? So it makes it, sense, it, right? There are scenarios where it is actually quite, it can be quite difficult. Um, and Salesforce is a really... Salesforce is one of those applications where it's almost national infrastructure. If it were to like yeah. get uh, infected with a virus, it would really, really fuck up everybody pretty bad. Kind of like what happened with Solar Winds. Remember when they had that virus sure, yeah. issue and like took out like national infrastructure? It was horrible, right? Everybody used Salesforce. The government uses Salesforce. The Fortune 500 uses Salesforce. You would see banks suddenly like have major issues because Salesforce is down. So, I mean, it's a big deal. You're right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But also on top of that, I mean, the other thing is that, you know, I think OpenAI has a challenge now. The glove is down. And so they have to earn their market share now. Like I, I think they have, we're, we were talking earlier about them being cocky, you know, with like this kind of, flipping a approach like yeah please go ahead and regulate us i don't know where ai is going where 
we don't know. We just created the model. I mean, the kind of this just super like we've created the Rubik's cube and we're fucking greater than Swiss cheese. Part of my French, and, and they can't do that anymore. They can't just show up and like call their New York Times buddies. And I'm sorry to people that work at the New York Times company, but. Man, the way you covered OpenAI was just horrible, man. You sucked up and you you took their dog food and you just spit it right back out. And the reality is, is that this thing is a lot more serious than that. And it's time to really make these guys earn it and to question what they're doing. And you know what? I hope they rise to the challenge. Maybe they will. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, certainly I don't believe they're out of the race, not by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. They've got a, still they the still leader. Have a relatively long lead, uh, but yeah. they've got to be looking in the rearview mirror. But it is, is baseball out. season, so let's use that. Your 20-game lead is now a five-game lead or a three-game lead, whatever it is. <laughs> All right. Do you have a brainer for us, my friend? I, mean, I think the brainer to me is we've kind of covered a lot of ground, right? We hit legal, we hit technical, we hit competition, we hit business model stuff. And I think if you're a marketer, you might be listening to all of this and saying, at the end of the day, what the hell does this have to do with me? I'm not a lawyer. I don't <laughs> care about the regulations. I just care about getting my new campaign up and running and out the door. And will this help me or will it not? But I think the brain here is this stuff does in fact matter that as a marketer you need to be aware of all of these developments that are happening in the market because at the end of the day the legal stuff the regulatory stuff the competition can affect you good bad or otherwise um, so right. really at the end of the day it's really about to me staying educated about the way the landscape is changing and be thoughtful about what these kinds of things could mean for you because at the end of the day all of these things will influence and impact the tool set that you're banking on to get your work out the door how about a right. no it's like owning a car and not caring about gasoline right absolutely uh so yeah. how about a no-brainer it costs you a lot Cost you a lot of money, man. If OPEC comes out and gets that open AI going that wrong way. No, uh, sorry. Didn't mean to do that. Uh, maybe I did a little bit. So the no brainer. Um, hello, license an app. Like if you're creating content today on chat GPT, uh, and I think that there's a lot of us to do that. Um, okay. That's good. I'm glad you see the, the value of using these generators. It's time today to license one of the competitors out there. There's numerous text generators. I know you like writer. I like copy AI. I like writer. Uh, Jasper is obviously the uh, cool kid on the block. There are a lot of other players out there. You can easily find them. Uh, just Google writing support marketing AI and you will find a ton of players. Go find the one you like. License it today and protect your organization. Because if you think that we're being doomsayers, I think you're kidding yourself. We're just seeing the storm clouds. The storm has not arrived yet. It's coming. Don't get caught in it. Excellent. All right, brother. All right. We made it. Let's, uh, let's roll on out. Keep those good times rolling, my friend. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening through the Marketing Podcast Network or however you get your favorite podcasts. Please subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. We really, really appreciate it when people leave us a review. 
you could also visit our website and send us suggestions. You could subscribe and follow us, of course, on Spotify as well. Um, and last but not least, nobrainerpodcast.com. Please, again, drop that email. Send us suggestions. If there's questions you have about AI, uh, we want to hear them, you know, because you're we're maybe a few weeks ahead of everybody else, maybe a couple months at most. Uh, this is new for everybody and the entire industry is adapting AI. So let's make sure we do it together. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.